passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Over the past 10 years of pastoral ministry here at Crosswinds, I, uh, by my counts, I've preached just over 400 sermons. That's a lot more than I realized that I've preached, but probably more surprising to me is that uh, this is the first sermon that I have ever preached on giving and on money. Now, there have been times as we've been going through books of the Bible that we've looked at a passage that touches on this subject um, indirectly, uh, maybe a little more directly. Uh, we've gone through 1 Timothy, which has passages. Mark has passages. Uh, Malachi has passages. But, but never has it been the, the primary focus of our time in God's Word. And as someone who, as a pastor, is, is charged to preach the whole counsel of God, that's what we see from Acts chapter 20, verse 27, uh, th this is a sobering reality for me, that this is a far cry from Jesus himself. If you look at what Jesus talks about in the Gospels, one, uh, one person added it all up and said that at least 15% of Jesus' teaching has to do with our money. And that's more than any time Jesus has talked about hell or heaven. If you combine those two topics, Jesus talks about money more than he does on those two topics. Now, unlike a lot of pastors today, I guess you could probably lump me in with that, Jesus seems to have no qualms with talking about how people handle their money. And this is understandably a, a sensitive topic today. We've seen plenty of churches and plenty of pastors that abuse this, uh, this call to generosity in the church, and yet I think maybe there's a deeper reason why we're so sensitive to this topic, and I think it's because something that Jesus actually makes very clear in our text this morning, and that is money and our hearts are inseparably connected. And Jesus, as the creator of the universe, knows that. He knows that our hearts and our money are created. And Jesus are, are created to be connected. And Jesus makes this, this astonishing claim that if God is not Lord of our money, then at the end of the day, he's not really Lord at all. That any discussion on money that comes in the church has to be focused on this connection. That money is ultimately a question of lordship. Does King Jesus have the right to tell us what to do with our money? And that's the lens through which we are going to consider this topic of money and of giving this morning. As you are looking maybe at your sermon notes, you'll, you'll see we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 this morning. We're going to look at this in three parts. We're going to see this connection between our treasure and our hearts as Jesus is talking to those who would be his followers, as those who would be his disciples. So let's go ahead and, and jump into this text. Before we do that, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask now that you would speak uh, to us, to your people this morning. God, we know that you see our hearts, and, and as we consider this topic, you know the lens through which every single one of us is, is looking at this topic. 
God, you know that some of us, our, our, our initial reaction response is, is one of defensiveness. For others of us, it's guilt. Maybe for some of us, it's pride. God, wherever we are this morning, we ask that you would meet us. That you would enable us to hear you through your word. Because God, it is our longing to be a people who increasingly walk in obedience to your word and to your son. And God, we ask that you would help us to do just that now as we consider this topic. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as I mentioned, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 this morning. But since we're just jumping into this topic, I want to take a few moments to kind of set the scene, set the context of, of Jesus's words here. Our passage is found in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's specifically a part of Jesus's sermon, this, this sermon to his followers, looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, what does that mean? And all of this comes back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to be my follower, this is how you have to be different than the hypocritical Pharisees, the hypocritical scribes, those who, who claim to follow God and yet are, are far from God's own heart. And Jesus gives his followers three key areas of, of what this following looks like as, as we walk in the path, in the way of Jesus, and how that way of Jesus is profoundly different from the way of the Pharisees. So after Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, we get to verse 21, verses 21 through 28 of Matthew chapter, or 48 rather, of, of Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus specifically focuses on what it looks like to follow him regarding teaching or specific ways that, that Jesus helps us understand that the heart of the law. God gave the law to his people in the Old Testament, and, and the people of Israel had that, but, but Jesus is like, do you realize that God is concerned not just about external actions, but he's concerned with your heart, with a heart that genuinely follows God? So Jesus says, it's not enough to just not murder someone, but if you have unrighteous anger in your heart, that has to be addressed. Similarly, Jesus says it's not enough to just not commit adultery, but if you are lusting after someone in your own heart, that has to be addressed. The message of these, these verses in Matthew chapter 5, very clear. God cares about your heart. And then we get to Matthew chapter 6. In the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, we see another one of these sections. Jesus is looking at the motivation for being his disciple the motivation for living a life of following him. And Jesus addresses all of these common religious actions. He looks at, at prayer and giving and fasting. And he essentially says, God isn't really all that impressed with your external actions. He cares far more about the heart behind those actions. Again, notice the underlying emphasis of Matthew chapter 6. God is deeply concerned with your heart. 
And it's that theme that we actually see in our section this morning. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34 is this section about giving and about money and about finances, and it's all focused on loyalty. At the end of the day, who holds your heart and who holds your allegiance? And that's the focus that Jesus is addressing as we jump into Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. It's clear that Jesus is primarily concerned about our hearts. He's worried about our hearts. He wants our hearts to be hearts uh, uh, that are obedient to him, that are following him. The idea of money is ultimately an issue of the heart. So let's go ahead and look at our text starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The message of these first few verses is is relatively clear. Be concerned with eternal treasure and not temporary ones. That's Jesus' focus here at the very beginning. Be concerned with eternal treasure and not with temporary treasures. Part of following Jesus is having the right mindset that we should be concerned with eternal riches and not with temporary ones. Now, Jesus isn't saying that there is something inherently wrong with earthly wealth. People will oftentimes misquote 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, and say that it's saying that money itself is the root of all evil. That's not true. Throughout the scriptures, wealth can be a sign of God's blessing. We only have to look at the Old Testament patriarchs, people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are blessed by God and receive great wealth. But this isn't only a sign of God's blessing. The Psalms are also filled with examples of wealth that belongs to those who are wicked. So Psalm 73 says this, For I was envious of the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The teaching of the Bible is that wealth is morally neutral. It is morally neutral. Wicked people can be wealthy. God-honoring people can be wealthy. And the same thing is true of not having money, of being poor. The question isn't a matter of wealth. The question is a matter of heart. Is your life guided by a pursuit of wealth, of, of laying up treasures on earth? And Jesus unequivocally tells his followers that they should not be concerned with that but instead that they should be concerned with eternal treasure, not temporary ones. Let's just consider two implications of Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 6. First one is this. As we consider Jesus' focus on eternal treasure rather than earthly treasure, we see that this is a form of wisdom. Earthly treasure is, by its very nature, temporary. And it is not not eternal. It It is vulnerable Earthly wealth will not last forever. Jesus, while he is mentioning moth and rust here, is very clear. Earthly things will decay. And even if they don't, we will. It is temporary, but it's not only temporary, it is also vulnerable. It doesn't matter if it is thieves 
or a banking crisis, a stock market crash, a natural disaster like fires or floods. There's no such thing as a sure thing when it comes to earthly wealth. In contrast, Jesus points out that heavenly riches, treasure in heaven, is eternal and secure. The reward that you will receive in the new creation has no expiration date. It is eternal. You will never have to worry about losing your heavenly treasure because of unforeseen circumstances. As secure as the FDIC may be, it pales in comparison to the assurance that we have from our heavenly Father. And so with that in mind, a focus on eternal treasure rather than earthly treasures is not just an act of obedience. It's just plain being smart. It's, it's a form of wisdom. If my entire life is concerned with the pursuit of earthly wealth, or if I have earthly wealth and my only concern is to use that on myself, then I'm, to use Jesus' language, being a fool. And that's what we see in a parable Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. Notice Jesus' words here. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus' teaching is clear, that if we build our lives around the pursuit of things of eternal significance rather than temporary things, that is a matter of wisdom, and we will never regret it. But not only is this a matter of wisdom, we also see that Jesus's implication here, or the implication of Jesus's teaching here, it leads us to this crucial question. Not just this is what we should do, but, but how do we do this? How do we store up, lay up treasures in heaven if it is so important and so wise? How do I do this? And Jesus gives us the answer throughout the Sermon on the Mount. First, Jesus tells us that we lay up treasure in heaven when we walk in obedience to God. Just look at Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6 and just read through it sometime. And notice how often Jesus uses the word reward. There are rewards for following him. So the first time we see this is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. We see this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what Jesus is saying here is that if you bear suffering for the name of Jesus, God will reward you in heaven. Another passage. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? In the context, Jesus is saying, if you sacrificially love people who hate you, even the people who are hard to love, God is watching and God will reward you. 
Another passage found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here, Jesus ties the idea of a reward with living a life of righteousness, not for other people to see, but rather for God alone to see. Now, let me tell you a little bit of a danger of this passage. When I was in college, I was discipling this young man, and uh, he, we, we would meet together weekly to, to, for lunch, and we'd talk through um, various aspects of, of his faith and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I was fasting one day while we were supposed to meet. And so he says to me, well, can we meet? And I said, no, I can't do that. And he's like, well, why? And I said, I just can't. And I was incredibly short and rude with him. And, and I was thinking of this passage, it's like, I can't tell this guy I'm fasting, even though I'm discipling, and I'm telling him, well, how do you follow Jesus, and what does spiritual disciplines look like? The focus of my heart was, was so literally on what Jesus says in this passage that I was missing the heart of what Jesus is saying, which is what Jesus actually cares about. The, the concern here from Jesus is on your heart. And we see this again in Jesus' teaching on giving in verse 2 of, of chapter 6, on prayer in verse 5 of chapter 6, on fasting in verse 16 of chapter 6. Jesus is telling us that we build up treasures in heaven when we live a life that is transformed by the gospel. So that's one way that we lay up treasure in heaven. But there's another thing that Jesus is referring to here in this passage, something that Jesus has in mind when he's talking about don't lay up earthly treasure, but rather lay up heavenly treasure. And verse 21 sheds light on this. Verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, that is also where your heart will be. We've seen this over and over in Matthew 5 and Matthew chapter 6. God is chiefly concerned with your heart. And here we see that that has to do with money. Wherever you place your treasure, there your heart will be also. There is an inseparable link between your money and your heart. And if we spend all of our money on the things of this world, then according to Jesus, what does that say about our hearts? Where our hearts are located? What has captured our heart? In the immediate context of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, Jesus is pretty clear on how we store up treasure in heaven. It's by using our earthly, temporal wealth for the things of eternal and lasting significance. Jesus says this very thing just a few verses later in the conclusion of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, this broader section about our loyalty to Jesus. Jesus says this, that we should prioritize earthly, not earthly, but rather kingly, kingdom-focused things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is reminding us that what we do with our money reveals our hearts. It is an opportunity for us to invest in eternal things. 
to make an eternal impact by participating in the Great Commission. Or we can use our money for temporal things, things that may not be inherently wrong, but if they are a sole focus, then they reveal a troubling picture of our hearts. Jesus' teaching here is very clear that we should be concerned with eternal treasure rather than temporary ones. That's our first section. We see that Jesus continues this discussion of our hearts and our money with another powerful declaration. We see this starting in verse 21. How you use your money sets the direction of your entire life. How you use your money will set the direction of your entire life. That's what Jesus has in view in this short parable he gives in verse 22 and verse 23. But we're going to look at verse 21 because there's more that we have to unpack from this verse first. Verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. Again, there is this intrinsic connection between your heart and your money. That's the way that God created us. God, the creator of the universe, created us that way. Wherever our treasure is, our hearts will not be far behind. And again, this is, this is relatively self-evident, isn't it? The person who places all their hope in a big payoff in the stock market, they're constantly checking stock prices. And if the stock market just bottoms out, they've lost everything, some of them even taking their own lives. In a similar way, the more stuff that we have, the more it consumes our time. Not only do we pay a price to buy something, but there's also the continual cost of making sure that you get your money's worth out of it. Your heart follows wherever you have placed your money. But I would say the inverse is also true as well. Not only is your heart found where your treasure is, but typically your treasure is found where your heart is. Or to put it another way, how you spend your money will generally follow what is most important to you. The things that hold your heart. And again, this is, this is pretty self-evident, right? Let's say there are two people, and one of them is a massive sports fan. You can fill in the blank of, of who or what team they follow. I, the right answer is, is the Iowa Hawkeyes, but you know, if, if that is offensive to you, you can fill in whatever you want. Let's say that you have this person who is a massive sports fan. On the other hand, you have this other person who is a massive classical music fan. They have the same passion, the same, same raw desire for those things, and yet how they spend their money is going to be massively different. You've, you talk to that sports fan, they're not going to spend their money on going to a classical music concert. You talk to that classical music fan, and you're, you're going to get this weird look of, of, you know, did you watch the game? People follow, their, their, their way they spend their money follows where their heart is located because things capture our hearts and our money will follow. If you want to see what holds your heart, a good place to start looking is to consider where you spend your money. Now, there are certain things that we spend money on that is absolutely unavoidable, of course. But what does your money say about your heart and your commitment to the Lord Jesus? 
You see, this connection between our hearts and our money is why the Gospels so regularly talk about money in the context of salvation, of repentance and faith. So if you're looking at Luke chapter 19, you see Jesus and his interaction with this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is an outsider to the kingdom of God, the people of God. He is a tax collector. He's considered the scum of the earth. But Jesus pursues him. And Jesus won't let him go. And Jesus invites him into his family. And Zacchaeus is amazed that Jesus would be interested in a person like him. And he responds to this newfound relationship with Jesus. And we read these words of him describing this relationship in Luke chapter 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus's response to Jesus is to give his money away to things that God desires from him. And notice what Jesus says immediately after this declaration from Zacchaeus in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, is Jesus saying that Zacchaeus, by giving up his money, he's, he's bought salvation, he's earned his way to salvation? Of course not. He's making the exact same connection that he does here in Matthew chapter 6. Zacchaeus's heart and his money are so connected that, and now that there's this profound change that has taken place in Zacchaeus, no longer does money, no longer does self hold the place of prominence, prominence in his life, but now it is God. And his heart follows that transformation. And because his, his money and his heart are connected, Zacchaeus exercises his faith in what he does with his money. The same sort of interaction is, is seen in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is talking to a rich young man, except it has the opposite ending. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that phrase. Loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by, what, by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Why does Jesus tell this man that he has to give away all his money? Is it because that's what it means to become a Christian? Is it a way to earn salvation? Not at all. Again, Jesus is making a point that he makes here in Matthew chapter 6, that our money and our hearts are connected. And if this man in Mark chapter, six, Mark chapter 10 was going to have Jesus as the Lord over his life, then that meant he had to get rid of the current Lord, the current master of his life, 
which was his possessions. But unlike Zacchaeus, he was unable to do so. One more example, this time from John the Baptist. John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord Jesus to come and and to proclaim the gospel. He preaches this message of repentance. Repent because Jesus is coming soon. Crowds are flocking to him. They're asking, what does it look like to repent? What does it look like to bear fruit that is in keeping with this repentance? That's what we see in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. And notice what John says. And the crowd asks him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do so. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. This is astounding. Three times John is asked, what shall we do in order to bear fruit that keeps with repentance? And John gives three separate answers and all of them have to do with money. And all of them have to do with our possessions. And we say, why? Again, it's because there's this inseparable connection between our hearts and our money. That's a, the theme that we see in all of these passages. God is concerned with what we do with our money because of how our money is connected to our hearts. And because of this connection between our money and our hearts, Jesus gives this short parable in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, that elaborates on this powerful effect that money has on us. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now the specifics here of Jesus's parable might not be clear, but the the overall point is, is relatively easy to follow. Jesus is in this context of talking about money and our hearts, basically says, you know, you've seen this, I've seen this. If your eyes don't work properly, your entire body will be affected. And in the same way, if your heart doesn't work correctly, if your heart has a misplaced desire, if your money is not under the lordship of Jesus, then that sets the trajectory for your entire life. It is incompatible with the lordship of Jesus to claim that he is your king and not have that affect every single area of your life, including what you do with your money. One quote that has been seared into my brain for years comes from Martin Luther. He says this, there are three conversions of the Christian life that are necessary. A conversion of the heart, a conversion of the mind, and a conversion of the pocketbook. I love that, and it sums up the teachings of Jesus here. What Jesus is saying, when you come to Jesus, it changes everything. It changes the things that we love, our hearts. It changes the way we think about the world. It changes our minds, and it changes the way that we use our money, our pocketbooks. This is why Jesus says that the the trajectory set by your money will rule your entire life. 
It's because our money is connected to our hearts. And how we use our money declares what we think of God. In fact, it's that statement that Jesus hammers home in this last verse, in verse 24. How I use my money reveals what I think of God. How I use my money reveals what I think of God. There's no way to hide it or to get around it. Our use of money is a discipleship issue. And because our hearts are connected to our money, our money reveals our thoughts about God. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money for this word, mammon. Here, Jesus cuts to the very heart of the matter. How we use our money is not ultimately a question of preference or ultimately a question of how good we are with a budget. At its core, money is ultimately a question of allegiance. You will either serve God with your money or money will be your God. The word translated money here at the very end of verse 24 is this word mammon, which has a broader meaning, not just money, but materialism or things in general. So Jesus is asking if we were to look at how we use our money, what would it say about who holds our allegiance? Is it God or is it our things? you see the core message of this entire passage? The the core focus from Jesus here is simply this. God cares about your money because God cares about your heart. At the end of the day, that's what this passage is saying. God cares about your money because he cares about your heart. If your takeaway from this text is that God cares about what we do with money it's because he needs it or he wants our money, and we've missed the point. God makes it very clear in the Old Testament. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our things. Psalm 50 says this, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God doesn't want or need your money, but he wants your heart. And because he created you, he knows that your money and your heart are inseparable. Where our money goes, so also will go our hearts. Where our hearts go, so also our money. So the question we have to ask ourselves is simply this, has discipleship, has following Jesus touched my finances? And listen, I I don't know how much money we should set aside or what that looks like, or at least I'm not going to get into it this morning for the the sake of the spread of the kingdom of God. Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, we should give as each has decided in our hearts, not reluctantly or not under compulsion, 
Now, Paul says that not as an out for giving. He actually says that to check your heart. Make sure you're actually realizing what Jesus has done for you, because that's the focus of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Giving is a response to what Christ has given to us. And I don't know how much money that means we should give or what we should do with our money, but if Jesus' words are to be taken seriously, that means it should affect us in some way, that there should be a change because our hearts are too valuable to not have them affected by the gospel. Some people will use the idea of a tithe, tithe meaning just 10% of your income as a, as a guideline for what giving should look like. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that as a starting place. It shouldn't be the end of the discussion. It should be the beginning of the discussion. Some people will say, hey, you know what? The, the, the idea of a tithe, it's, it's an Old Testament thing. It's outdated. It's not something that's found in the New Testament. I'd agree. But the New Testament actually uses the category of what Christ has done for us on how much we should give rather than just 10%. So he says this. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only doing this work, raising money, but also to desire to do it. Here's the thing when it comes to this discussion. This is not a discussion that should take five minutes. This is not something that should be looked at lightly. Anything that has to do with the trajectory of your heart, the trajectory of your life, should never be taken lightly. And this question of what can we contribute to the kingdom of God should be a regular reflection for every single one of us. If you are married, this should be a regular conversation with your spouse. Just ask yourself, what if we were so eternally focused that we were saying, how can we lay up more treasure in heaven? How can we be so focused on that day that we will never regret what we've done? How can we further the kingdom of God? I would love if in response to this sermon, every single one of us took time to consider what would it look like for God to be king over my finances? And I guarantee you, for every single person who does that, the answer will be completely different. Every single one of us will have a different answer. But the important thing is that we see that this is a massive area of discipleship and spiritual growth. God cares about our money because God cares about our hearts. I just want to close with this. Without a doubt, the most transformative instruction I have heard on this topic comes from Michael O. Oh. Michael O. Oh was a former missionary to Japan. Currently, he's serving as the executive director of a missions organization called the Lausanne Movement that just focused on the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he was speaking back in 2011 at the Desiring God Conference on the priority of missions in the life of the church. Now, at the time that this, I, I listened to this conference, I was in seminary. My wife and I had just recently gotten married. We lived in one of the most affluent parts of the Chicago suburbs. For, for frame of reference, we have a $30,000 a year income, and we are, our apartment complex is literally down the street from Michael Jordan's old house. We did not have very similar housing, just so you are aware. <laughs> Money was tight. 
Crystal was our primary source of income. I, I supplemented that income by working as a janitor at a church for about 20 hours a week. And yet we felt strongly that our limited income was not an excuse for us to not be generous with our money. But at the same time, we had no idea. How could we possibly make an impact with the, the measly offering that we could give? And it's in that context that I listened to this talk, this sermon from Michael O. And he, he said something like this. The value of money is amazing when it is invested in God's kingdom. The returns are eternal. What is the value of what we are able to give? It is priceless. It is stunning how God can use even the simplest of giving for a glorious, global, eternal impact. And over the course of his talk, and, and it, was, it was lengthy, he gives story after story, example after example of small, insignificant gifts that make a massive impact in the course of global evangelism. And his focus in this talk was don't focus on how small your gift is, but focus on how big God is and what he can do with even the smallest act of obedience. And he focuses on the eternal rewards of being a part of what God is doing here in this world. And so he used this example. He says, if you were, this is actually probably, I'm going to modernize it a little because it's crazy how much time has changed in the last 12 years. If you were to pull out your phone right now, and you were to pull up Google, and you can do this right now. I don't care if you do this right now. Google millionaire calculator. You will be given a ton of different websites that will basically serve the same purpose. It will be a simple calculation showing you how much you should save each month in order to save and invest and, and eventually reach a million dollars. And maybe you've, you've used those as you've been planning out retirement savings. You've been trying to figure that out. But here's where Michael O's speech was just life-changing for me. He said, what if we use those calculators not to determine how, how much I should save in order to save a million dollars, but what, what if I use that calculator as a way to just, just gaze, give me a glimpse of how I might have an eternal impact in what God is doing. So rather than saving a million dollars, giving a million dollars, and the point of these calculators is very simple. The focus is to take this massive number that we can't even begin to comprehend and to make it smaller and attainable, something that we can reach. He says this, if you set aside only $5,000 a year, which is about $415 a month, at an 8% return, you'll become a millionaire in just over 36 years. The point is, the target is in sight. It's doable. But let's say that you invested $5,000 per year, again, about $415 a month, in global kingdom building. In just over 36 years, you will have been able to invest the equivalent of about $1 million in Jesus' name-hallowing, kingdom building, eternity-altering global mission work. The point, the target is in sight. It is doable. And I guarantee you that in heaven, the return on all the funds that you invest in God's kingdom for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth will yield much more than 8%. What wonderful discipleship 
to be able to tell your kids and your grandkids that you invested $1 million in global missions. That's what building up treasure in heaven, not on earth, looks like. To invest in the expansion of the kingdom of God and what might seem like a minor, insignificant amount will pay incalculable dividends. What if we use those calculators to set massive goals, no matter whether we are in our 20s or in our 70s? What if we set massive goals for giving to the kingdom of God, knowing that God gives far better than 8% back? A massive global impact is within our reach. But the question all comes down to our hearts. Who holds our hearts? Is it the Lord Jesus and the spread of his fame and name to the ends of the earth? Or is it the things of this earth? God cares about our, heart, our money, but only because he cares about our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would use your word to transform us. that we would walk as followers of you, Jesus. That every aspect of our lives would come under the lordship of you, Jesus. Help us toward that end, God. We ask that you would capture our hearts, not the things of this world, but you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.